with you for this ride as always is myself, John. Uh, alongside me, I have my two co-hosts, Nick and Chris. What's up, fellas? Hey, guys. Awesome to see you again. What's up? Great to be back, gentlemen, as always. Chris, good to see you. Uh, not quite in the flesh, but at least not in a trailer. <laughs> Don't hate yes, on the trailer. True. <clears throat> oh, no, man. Trailer's great. This is just you know a nice change of pace before y'all head true. out again. Chris is back for uh, his first episode back in the Austin area. We're uh, super excited to have him back in town. And it's been a little while since we've caught up on an episode. Uh, apologies. Life has gotten a bit hectic with everybody going back and whatnot. So we're going to not waste any time here and get right back into the high-low buffalo. And first, I will kick it over to Chris. Chris, it's been a while. What's your high-low buffalo? Hilo Buffalo. Yeah. So as you guys all mentioned, I am back in Austin for a few months and that's my high. I've been able to hang out with both of you like individually. That was super cool. Uh, being able to see some friends here in Austin has been amazing and being able to uh, be around some family, uh, not via FaceTime or Zoom or whatever has been amazing. So being back in uh, in Austin has been definitely been my high. Um, my low is kind of work related. I, um, it's one of those deals where I, uh, put a whole lot of time and effort into a project. It was kind of a hard sell. I knew that going into it and I didn't get the deal done. I'm not in sales, but I tried to sell something that I had developed and, uh, it didn't, it got kind of passed over. So that was kind of my low. It was a bit of a bummer, but whatever. Um, and then my Buffalo. So, um, you guys remember my son-in-law, Michael, who was on the podcast recently. Uh, he and, uh, my daughter, um, are moving to Houston. So they're, they live here in the Austin area. They live, uh, in Round Rock and our daughter got a new job in the Houston area and she accepted it. And so they are leaving. So that's kind of a, it's kind of a bittersweet Buffalo to, I mean, they're, they're, I'm, I'm very happy for them. She got a. Yeah. Congrats. Congrats to her. Um, I almost said, thank you. Like I had anything to do with it, but <laughs> I negotiated you. the deal. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, kind of bittersweet. I'm really happy for them, uh, because they're going to be closer to, uh, like live in the same neighborhood. As a matter of fact, as, uh, my son, who was also on the podcast recently, uh, their kids are going to go to the same school. So that's awesome. That's they're awesome. going to be all really close together, but a little, uh, bittersweet for us because we, you know, have gotten used to seeing them on the weekends while we're here. And hanging out with with them and with the grandkids, it's always a lot of fun to get together with them. That's kind of the 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 buffalo. Uh, Nick, what about you? What's going on? Oh well, thanks for asking, Chris. Uh, so yeah, it's gentlemen. Been a while, so I had uh, a lot to choose from, but the uh, high is unequivocally uh, that our daughter Vivian turned seven since the last time we spoke. Uh, she had a, a, a birthday. We took her down to uh, San Antonio to stay at a good friend of ours hotel who he is the GM of. And he uh, hooked us up with with a handful of rooms 
so we were able to take uh, her, uh, some good friends of ours who also have a daughter around her age, uh, down to San Antonio for the weekend uh, and go to SeaWorld. Uh, and that was just an absolute blast to be able to share that with other people. I, I, I'm sure I've mentioned on previous episodes how Vivian and I had gone to SeaWorld earlier in the year, uh, just a father-daughter trip. But, I pull out my own teeth, yes. Yes, yeah, that's right. She does pull out her own <laughs> teeth right. still, yes. Uh, um, but so, yeah, we didn't have to flex that on anybody this time. But, that's disappointing. <laughs> yes. Uh, she did go on more roller coasters, though. Uh, nice. she, she owed me a roller coaster from last time. Uh, and she, she followed through like a champ. I'm so proud of her, but it was just so much fun, you know, seeing her play with, you know, you know, go through the same things that we did the last time. Uh, but now, you know, now it's a different experience. Now we got, uh, some friends there to share it with and just, uh, seeing, you know, how, how different an experience that is for her. Uh, it was just a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, uh, my wife and I, Crystal, had a, a blast there as well. Uh, so that was definitely, you know, easy choice there. Um, low. So I had a few things to choose low from, unfortunately. You know, Astros lost their bid for a, uh, you know, non-cheating World Series win. Um, Let's take a sidebar there because I knew this would I knew I knew this would come up. The Astros failed to beat the Atlanta Braves, which is obnoxious because if you're an Astros fan in the nineties, you learn to hate the Tomahawk chop, uh, the combination of Smoltz, Maddox and Glavin just burned your soul over and over again. I had to watch those Atlanta games on mute. He's not great. Here's my stance. The Astros might've cheated in the 17th season. They did. Um, much like, the New York Yankees, the Boston Red Sox, and a number of other teams that were proven. However, having gone to both an ALCS and a World Series game that year, there is no way they could have cheated uh, in those games because you couldn't hear the person next to you, much less, you know, trash cans and all that jazz. Now, they also won games, especially in the World Series, on the road. where they couldn't have used their system. So here's the thing. Suck an egg. The Astros won in the playoffs and the World Series on their own basis. And their splits, if you're not familiar, home road splits, um, how you perform at your home stadium versus the other, were actually better in 17 on the road. Mm -hmm. And most of the people kind of chalked it up to um, Altuve, along with a couple other players, had young children, and so they could sleep better at hotels on the road. So, you know what? As much as the 17 season has bothered me, it bothered me more so for the fact that they didn't want to apologize, not so much the fact that they cheated. They won the playoffs in the World Series of their own, you know, volition and skill. So, mm-hmm. sorry. I'm not sorry. Well, they certainly yeah. didn't cheat this year. Uh, and they still made it back to the World Series, and That's they right. went through some of the best teams in the MLB to get there. And that's, they're still a very good team, cheating or no, you cannot take that away from them. Um, and they've played with a chip on their shoulder this entire season. It was a lot of fun to watch. I yep. just wish they could have uh, sealed the deal. But anyway, that is not my low. My low is that uh, so Vivian's birthday was my high. Uh, my low is that it was also my birthday mm. and I turned 
39. Y'all, I'm practically one foot in the grave. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say that makes me two feet in the grave. Uh, and at the, on the same day, my son turned three. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, yeah. So, okay. So a little bit of silver lining there. Thanks, John. Uh, but anyway, the, the running joke that I was making when people would ask me, you know, Oh, what you going to do for your birthday? You turn in 39. This is, you know, you're going to be old next year. I was like, yeah, I'm probably going to go shopping for caskets. Maybe go, uh, <laughs> go pick out a, a grave plot. You know, it'll be fun. So, I, yeah, I know a guy who can get you a good deal on some depends if you, you know, I also nice. know a funeral nice. director. Yeah, I'll probably so, I'll probably need both of those in bulk. So she, uh, well, the funeral director you'll really only need once. I'm I don't know if you know how that works. At least ten funeral directors at my funeral. <laughs> at least, uh, yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, there's there's my low. I mean, you know, obviously, I'm not really, but that was, yeah, that was kind of that was that was not a high point for me. I don't think. Um. But anyway, moving on. Uh, Buffalo for the last time. So, you know, since we've spoken last, uh, what the heck is going on NFL? What are you doing? Just the past couple of weeks, your reigning MVP, uh, decided to be, let's just say less than forthcoming about his vaccination status. Uh, your first, uh, first round pick from two years ago, uh, hit and killed a woman and her dog, Burned them alive. Uh, who the heck is Mike White? Uh, Derek Henry, you're probably your leading MVP candidate at this point, broke his foot. That's not even a top three story. Uh, Odell Beckham is being Odell Beckham. You know, who who could have seen that coming? Raise your hand. And you know, I know y'all can't see me, but I'm raising my hand. Uh, Washington football team, Dan Snyder. Yeah, it turns out he is exactly who everybody knows he is, but that one just kind of got swept under the rug. And Urban Meyer? Didn't Urban Meyer have something happen? Was that last season? Did did John Gruden have something yeah. happen? That feels like years ago. The league is uh it's just a hot mess. This is, is are we in the off season? What is going on? <laughs> yeah. It's it was just uh, you know, my head is spinning. If that's something you keep track of, um, so yeah, your head spinning or NFL story. <laughs> if you're keeping track of the uh, RPM, that's a of new my head spinning. Yeah, <laughs> that's, no that's a new category uh, for the podcast. How many times uh, does yeah. your head spin per episode? Uh, yeah, we'll we'll need a sound effect for that. The uh, I mean, yeah, just these all these stories coming out one after another, after another, after another, after another, after another. and then there's some I'm not even remembering. That's how crazy it's been. Oh, Adrian Peterson's back. Oh yeah, that's Welcome right. Welcome back. Welcome back, yep, AD. Yep. Uh, <laughs> AD, not AP. Um, you know, one of the things with the OBJ story is it's kind of that uh, tale as old as time. If you think everyone around you is an a hole, maybe it's you. Could be you. Um, it's the second city I he's torched. Don't think he is going to be that introspective, but Hey, I don't know. I don't know the guy. Well, um, and the fact that his dad was making videos mm-hmm. trying to uh, trash talk Baker. Well, I'm, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, 
I, I, I'm pretty sure that was at least somewhat coordinated or at least uh, signed off on. It was in portrait mode, but shot like horizontally or shown horizontally. Come on, man. Learn yeah. how to use an iPhone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. Yeah, but so anyway, that's, you know, lots going on. That's that's what I picked. So Hilo, Buffalo, John, ready, go. All right, Nick, I'm glad you asked me. We've alluded to this, but it's been a little while since we sat down. And so I had a hard time settling on one for my high. So I'll try and make it quick. So I, I'm down to two. One of them is that earlier this week, the CDC, the FDA, everybody signed off on and cleared five to 11 year olds to get the COVID vaccine. We've talked a, bit, a little bit about it on the show, but Nick and I both have kids that are at least one each that are in that age range. I'm just really excited that um, my daughter has an appointment next Friday to get her COVID shot. Um, I just got my booster yesterday, so just trying to get as much zombie juice in me as possible. How are you feeling? Uh, actually, like... I've been Moderna this whole time, um, not really by choice the first time, but then it turned out to be the better option. I wanted Pfizer. Definitely today was way milder than after the second shot. I mean, a little bit of arm pain, like very minor of anything. So very grateful for that and very grateful to have the opportunity because I know there are a lot of people around the world that do not. So very grateful to have that and just really excited for our daughter to be able to, you know, get a little bit more protection uh, from COVID. And my other high would be Halloween. So we just had Halloween recently. And this was my son's first time to go out trick or treating. I mentioned uh, my son and Nick share a birthday, a few years apart, mind you, but um, just a handful. Yeah. Our son was very excited to do this, and he actually wore a costume that was handmade by my father-in-law for my wife when she was a toddler, and then our daughter wore it when she was a toddler, and then now our son has worn it. So That's really cool. Yeah, it was it's super cool. Like, you know, my father-in-law is this renaissance man, and he, every year the kids would, and my mother-in-law told the story recently, the kids would come up with what they wanted to be for Halloween. Uh, my father-in-law would come out with a product sheet, a uh, material, you know, list and give it to my mother-in-law. And she would be like, I don't know how this is going to turn into the costume they want, but okay, sure. And she would go and buy the supplies and he would sit there and hand stitch and sew these costumes. And I mean, it's amazing all while, you know, trying to, you know, help uh, my mother-in-law raise three kids and build his career in the air force. I mean, just a man of many traits. So he wore the costume. My mother-in-law and father-in-law went out trick-or-treating with the kids. And my father-in-law's like, oh, you sure you don't want me to hang back and pass out candy? Well, we went to a concert, and I'll address that in my Buffalo. Um, I took my father-in-law to a concert for his birthday. Well, I got him the tickets for his birthday, and then we went to the concert a few weeks ago. And we were sitting there talking. He's like, yeah, you know, I remember going trick-or-treating with the kids and we did it a few times in shirts and then all of a sudden you know nobody was trick-or-treating anymore and it was just one of those like just tearing at your heartstrings as a father like my kids are grown and they're not doing the trick-or-treating anymore and so when it came to like yeah Lou you want to go trick-or-treating with the kids do it you do it man I'll I'll have I'll have other times you know what you just moved here you know this is the first time you're getting to do Halloween with the kids yeah you do it man and so I hung back 
sat out on the porch, you know, played a Spotify Halloween mix and put on my koala onesie and just got to hang out and chit chat with the kids that were coming by and talk to them about their costumes. And we got a baby Yoda trick or treat inflatable. And there were kids that were like stopping to take pictures with it. And this thing was like sub 30 bucks at Walmart. So whatever. Um, but it was a lot of fun. And then the kids came back. Um, our daughter, uh, our son, the costume that was handed down was a lion costume. And then our daughter uh, decided to go as one of her namesakes, uh, Princess Diana. So she did that costume. And uh, when they came back, um, the kids wanted to sit out front with me and pass out the last of the Halloween candy. Like it was just really sweet, really endearing. Like it was, it was just a really great time. Um, and, you know, we, we kept them safe. Like we did the mask, the whole thing. But yeah, it was just, it was a lot of fun. So that was, uh, that's my um, highs. My low, Nick kind of already alluded to it, but we've talked about on this show before that starting at nine years old, I became a Packers fan. So my low, and we're not going to get political here with what happened. You can Google it if you want, but my low is Aaron Rodgers. And the poster I have of him in my office is coming down today. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Going on to my Buffalo. So I kind of mentioned in my high that my father and my father-in-law and I went to a concert that I'd gotten tickets to for him for his birthday. And it was Alice Cooper and Ace Freely. I never thought this was an act that he wanted to see. But when I mentioned that that was who was reopening the HEB Center, his eyes lit up. My mother-in-law said, absolutely not. I will not go with you. And so I talked to my wife about it later. And I was like, I'll take him. Shoot, I don't care. Like, Alice Cooper's cool, whatever. So we go, you know, Alice Cooper comes on stage. First of all, I think it's interesting about Alice Cooper is he's 73. But he didn't have a lot of the same vices that his contemporaries did. And so, you know, he's still just right as rain, like no issues moving around, singing vocals, whatever, like he's really good. So they did all the theatrics and the stunts and all that stuff. They cut off his head at one point. The thing that is the Buffalo was his, one of his three guitarists. I would say at this point in my life, I've probably been to somewhere in the neighborhood of 125, 150 concerts. I've seen a lot of really good guitarists, um, Eddie Van Halen, Eric Clapton, Kenny Wayne Shepard, Zach Wild. One of his guitarists just completely blew me away. And later I told my wife about this and she's like, well, was it because she was a woman? Was it a top three woman guitarist you've seen? I was like, no, no, no. This was actually like top three guitarists I've ever seen perform live. And at the end of the show, when he was introducing his band, because it was a very old school rock and roll show where they like take time and everybody gets a little solo piece and everybody else is off stage when they do. And then he introduces his whole band. And so he introduced her and he was like, yeah, you know, this is Nita Strauss and she's a guitarist of the decade for the last decade. And I was like, well, that makes sense. It wasn't just a technical proficiency because, you know, one of the things I've always said about like a Ingve Malmsteen is yes, they're super amazing but they can't really write a song. Um, So it was both that she was extremely technically proficient, but so much so that the way she moved around on stage and like was able to, you know, manipulate her guitar. It was one of the best guitar performances that I've ever seen in my life. So that was my Buffalo because I definitely didn't walk into an Alice Cooper show thinking that, uh, you know, I was going to see that level of guitar performance. 
So that's our high-low buffalo for the week. Next, we're going to move on to, I know it's been a little while, but I'm sure there's at least something notable that we've each had. And you know we like to recap that in What You Drinking. So Chris, I'm going to start with you. What you drinking? I'm so glad you asked. Um, but before I, before I jump into uh, what I've been drinking, you know, you mentioned to me the other night when we hung out, uh, this guitarist, Nita Strauss, um, and being the classical music buff that I am, well, I'm a music buff, never heard of Nita Strauss, came home, Googled it. Turns out she is directly related to Johann Strauss, Wow, which is a very famous uh, composer from the romantic era of, you know, classical music. So The world. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that was kind of cool. She's a, she's a descendant of, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Johann Strauss. Uh, so that was super cool. Anyway, what, um, what, what have I been drinking? So we've actually talked about this brewery several times in the past, um, and how they have a knack for making a beer taste exactly like what they put on the can. Martin house. Yes, exactly. That brewery. Uh, you know, they made a, uh, they did the spicy dill beer. Oh, spicy pickle beer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they did a pizza beer. That was just weird, man. Real weird. It t- it tasted like pizza. I don't know how they did it. But anyway, I recently had a beer of theirs that was a peanut butter pretzel stout. Mm, that, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It was flipping good man um it 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 tasted um it was very similar to the um belching beaver stout that we had on the pod before uh but it had a little bit uh more like salty breadiness that you would get Mm. from a pretzel so yeah man it it tasted like a peanut butter pretzel with a little bit of roasty malty stout goodness Nice. So a little yeah. bit of uh, counterbalance to that richness That's of right. the chocolate and the peanut butter. And yeah, yeah. while we're on that note, and I'm glad you brought up the Belching Beaver, um, I saw recently, when we talked about the Belching Beaver uh, episode, I brought up a brewery that also did a peanut butter stout called Dewclaw. Um, and their version was called Sweet Baby Jesus. I recently, th- just this week, saw Dewclaw is now in Texas at the HEB, uh, picked up the one beer they had from there called Unicorn Farts. That was a glittered, uh, sour cereal beer uh, that my wife had this uh, uh, tonight, and it was very delicious. Anyways, not to go on too much of a uh, random walk here, but Dewclaw looks to be coming into Texas, so if you see them, try them, pick them up. They're pretty good. Nice. And for those of you curious at home, if you're tracking an animal in the woods and you can't tell whether it's a pig or a deer, you know how you can tell? The dewclaw. The dewclaw. There you go. Deer have a dewclaw. Pigs don't. What about demons? <laughs> what about a chupacabra? Let's just, if, if you're tracking if, a chupacabra into the woods. If I'm tracking a Mr. Tumnus, am I looking for a Dewclaw or not? They have two Dewclaws. Two Dewclaws for the Mr. Tumnus. Got it. 
<laughs> man bear pig mm-hmm. tracking um so nick uh what you, before we get to sidetrack what have you been drinking well unlike chris i am not very glad that you asked that uh honestly <laughs> um so let me explain a little bit since we last spoke which has been a while i have continued my uh low carb journey to try to try to shed some pounds here so i've actually been doing a pretty good job of that so most of my beverages have consisted of water, iced tea, coffee, uh, you know, just super simple, plain and boring. But since you asked, I'm going to have to admit to this. There has been something that hit the market very recently that has just caught my morbid fascination. Is it the Sonic Hard Seltzers? And I finally succumbed. And bought some of those Sonic hard seltzers. There we go. <laughs> Cherry lime. Um, I got the the original mix pack. Uh, the only one I've tried so far is the cherry lime. Yeah. And I mean, it's all right. It's fine. <laughs> Thanks for the built up. <laughs> it's it's cherry lime. Um, I, I you know I. A lot of these hard seltzers, I think, can can go real overboard on the sweetness. I was really expecting this one to be one of them, but it was all right. Like I was, I was expecting to to drink it and be like, "Oh wow, never drink that again." But I probably will, you know, since I've got twelve of them. Well, I guess eleven now. Uh, so thanks, John and Chris, for making me admit that. So now I'll throw it to you, John. What you drinking? Oh man! Oh, I'm I'm really <laughs> glad you asked. Uh, I wanted to bring up the Sonic Hard Seltzers, and I didn't think that I was gonna hit that nail so much on the head. But um, what I'm drinking? Chris and I attended the uh, Texas Craft Beer Guild Brewers Texas Brewers Guild Craft Beer Festival, and had a very awesome reception. A lot of really nice, friendly people. Had some really great chats. And unfortunately, I didn't get to quite enjoy all the beers there because I had just had a a nose job done and couldn't really taste all that well. So between that and other things, I've had a lot of good beer. However, the beer that I'm going to feature in uh, today's episode is a collaboration by Zilker and St. Elmo that Brian Winslow, when we talked to him um, on a previous episode, mentioned that he was going to do for Halloween. I don't think it was in the episode. I think it might have been when we were chatting afterward. It is the Phantasmo. And so this is an IPA made with Phantasm, which is basically distilled, powderized uh, New Zealand Marlboro grape skins. I talked about it uh, with the Jester King uh, beer they made with this. And they made two different versions. They made a St. Elmo uh, riff and they made a Zilker riff. I got both because, well, I'm an idiot or something and tried them both. And let me tell you, the the St. Elmo version is fantastic. They did a great job. However, I don't know what it is, but the Zilker version, when I took uh, my first taste of it, I said, that is a freaking masterpiece. This beer is just everything and more that you want out of a hazy IPA. It hits all the fruity notes. There's something to it that's just a little bit different than other ones. I gave it 
to my wife to try and she's like you have to get another four pack of this so just fantastic job guys and yeah this will be sold out by the time this episode airs so it's irrelevant you can't buy anymore we're super cool um you don't get it nanny nanny boo boo um but that's gonna be my beer that i'm talking about is the zilker version of the zilker saint elmo collab although the saint elmo collab the saint elmo version of it is also very good but the phantasmo made with phantasm isn't that really cool though that you can have a, a collaboration like that where I'm, I'm guessing that both breweries use the, the same recipe same ingredients um same techniques and come out with beers that are not the same and that's just you know all all the the tiny little differences in brewing equipment tiny little differences in in the person brewing just all these little little differences that you don't even really think of add up to make something different mm-hmm. and i that's just really cool i, I think know, that's a great segue actually yeah we, to our demystifying the craft it's almost yeah. like nick has become a professional at this that's right you know we've just become so adept at podcasting at transitions at uh, telling stories that nick just this came natural to him and in demystifying the craft this is something, you know, Chris and I got together earlier this week and I was like, hey, man, you got any ideas for the segment? He's like, eh, not really. Um, and Nick doesn't like to answer his texts, whether it's about trade offers or, you know, the podcast. And so, you know, I'm sitting there trying to figure out what could we talk about? And then one of the other people that we were hanging out with, shout out Vince, uh, was like, hey, how much of brewing and batch to batch is art? versus how much of it is science and he himself is very much a tequila drinker and he's like you know there's these slight and subtle differences in each and every batch and so you know y'all being uh beer people like does that exist what is that like you know what does that look like in the beer world now i'll give my answer and then i'll let chris and nick jump in you know kind of the way i answered vince was i think once a brewery comes up with one of their flagship beers you know, whether it's Ballast Point Sculpin or it's ABW's Pearl Snap um, or it is Bell's Hop Slam, I think for the most part, once you come with those flagship beers, you're trying to ensure that the quality, the taste, everything is the same batch to batch, especially in the world of craft beer as it has evolved. And there's so many choices now. People want to know that when they pick up that six pack of whatever, it's going to taste the same as as when they had it before. That is not to say that craft beer doesn't like to experiment. But I think most of the time when they start riffing on recipes, either it's going to be a completely separate beer or they will really much, you know, very much call it out as, well, this is the double hop, double dry hop version of Sculpin, or this is the barrel aged you know, something to that effect so that you very much know that there is a difference in that version of the beer. That's kind of my take on it. Uh, Chris, what do you, uh, what's, what's your feeling on art versus science when it comes to brewing? Well, I'm going to give a very subjective answer to the question as opposed to, I mean, it it might not make a lot of sense. Nick's probably going to give a much more cogent objective answer, but he has to look up that word real quick. 
Um, <laughs> but that's like I, it's I, like that's like a mathematics thing, right? <laughs> tangent, coastline, Sokotoa, gotcha, Pocatello. Um, <laughs> but uh, I can tell you this: the reason why I love beer and. If you could see me in person, you could tell that I love beer. He's got a stationary bike behind him. He soups loves beer. Yeah, yeah. And if it weren't for that Peloton behind me, it'd be way worse than it is. Um, I can tell you that probably the biggest reason why I love beer as much as I do is because of how much you'd be surprised how many similarities there are between beer and music. When someone gives you and I'm, you know, I grew up, I went to school on a music scholarship. I have been a fan of music. I played music for a long time. It's just something that I really enjoy. And like there, although it's not called Reinheitsgebot or whatever the hell that word is. Um, is that right? Yeah, pretty close. Close enough. I, All right. I mean, like Reinheitsgebot. Not going to try and do. Yeah, it's German. So anyway, but that that is the German word that says beer must consist of these things. Well, they're the same kinds of rules in music that say, you know, and mostly in classical music that say like chord progressions must go this way. And within that framework, within that science, people can compose these overlying melodies and things that are art within that mathematical framework. Uh, true story, you know, I went to school on the music scholarship, like I just said, and music students only have to take half of the math classes that non-music students take because music, there's so much math involved in music theory that it counts. So lucky me, I only had to take one semester of algebra. <clears throat> but the same is true with beer in my opinion. And and so, you know, beer has to consist of like these four ingredients, but within these four ingredients, you can embellish with your own artistic ideas. And to me, that's what makes beer a beautiful thing because there's just such beautiful art that comes out of beer. And that's one of the reasons why I love drinking it as much as I do. Does that make any sense at all? No, no. And I I think you're right on. I mean, you know, the way I was approaching it in the conversation we were having is, you know, kind of the variations from, from batch to batch and whether it's, you know, super scientific at that point when you're just trying to recreate stuff to put in a six pack, like we've talked about with AB InBev or, Mm -hmm. you know, it was more of a, each little batch is going to have its own variation, but yeah, no, I think you're completely right when you're talking about, you know, the four, the four big uh, ingredients, and what you can do within there. And then especially if you start throwing in adjuncts or different brewing techniques, like, yeah, no, a hundred percent. Nick, what do you have to say? Uh, well, first of all, if I could just circle back real quick, I've been accused of many things. Uh, being a professional has never been one of them. So <laughs> thanks for that. I'll add that to the list. But um, yeah, if you're going to ask me is brewing more of an art or a science, my answer is Yes. It is 100% an art. It is also 100% a science. The actual brewing process is can be distilled down into a formula, like a very specific formula to follow. You have, you know, X amount of this, Y amount of that. Uh, and like I'm, I'm 
really oversimplifying here because I don't know it, <laughs> but it is an actual like formula that you can plug in quantities and come up with an answer. It'll tell you this is how you're supposed to brew this beer if you're trying to get it to taste like this flavor. Um, we've been doing this for a long time. Uh, we by we, I mean humans. So the knowledge to get flavors that you want out of the ingredients are there. All you have to do is, 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 you know, look it up pretty much. But then at the same time, if you're going for something, you know, a little more original, if you're not just trying to, you know, clone some, some other tasty recipe, then yeah, it definitely takes a little bit of uh, an artist flair to, to experiment to kind of just have a gut feeling that, you know, I think these ingredients would actually be really good together. And so it's, yeah, you're, you both are 100% correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, Nick, like when you're thinking about uh, fire Eagle from ABW, Mm -hmm. they're trying to get as little variation from batch to batch as possible. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Is Is that right? And then when they're, when they're riffing, then it's like, it is what it is. Like, you have your pilot system and then you have the, you know, one-off beers that land up getting canned and distributed out to the stores. And that's kind of where you get a little bit more experimental. But once you hit those kind of core beers, you're trying as, as best as possible to get continuity from batch to batch. Yeah. Anything that is going to go out on the shelf uh, to retail, we want that one to be as consistent as possible. We have, held back and and dumped out entire batches of beer because it was not up to our standards and it just didn't taste the way we wanted it to taste. Every, every brewery goes through that. Shoot, uh, Anheuser-Busch, their industrial waste, just the, the amount of beer that they pour down the drain is larger than our entire production in a year. And they'll they'll, you know, just pour that right down the drain because it did not match up with the consistent flavors that that they wanted to have um so i think for almost every brewery uh craft brewery excuse me every every smaller size craft brewery that's you know not pumping out millions of barrels per year the 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 time for the art application is the tap room that's where you have all of these kind of one-offs throw it against the wall see what sticks kind of approach uh and obviously it's a little more guided than that the beers that we put in cans, the beers that we put in kegs that you buy at a restaurant or, you know, if you get a keg for yourself, that's the one that we want 100% science, 100% predictability, 100% consistency behind. The things we have in barrels, the things we have in the pilot system, yeah, that's 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 our brush. That's where you can go a little bit, Bob Ross. Yeah, and we have, we have some amazing brewers uh, that that come up with some some really cool stuff, and you know it's not necessarily stuff that that you would expect to find in a beer sometimes. Yeah. So Nick, you've mentioned this, and John, you and I were talking about this the other night. There's almost an art in the science when you talk about uh, some of these millions of barrels a year uh, breweries. The, the art in making that beer tastes the same across disparate geographies is, I mean, that's notable. That's significant to, to, you know, have a beer taste the same across in, in the U S as it does in the UK, 
as well as, you know, other parts in Europe, Asia, wherever, you know, if you go order a Miller Lite, you expect that that Miller Lite is going to taste the same no matter where you order it. And so there is a little bit of, I mean, this is my opinion, but there's a little bit of art in the science to make that taste the same, no matter what water you're using, what area of the world you're in, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Brewing is just, it's such a beautiful thing from, you know, somebody getting their first homebrew kit, trying to clone their favorite beer to, you know, these worldwide operations like AB InBev. It's, I think the answer is a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. You know, every week we try and get to know each other a little bit better and for y'all to get to know us a little bit better. We toss out a question that uh, we like to call getting to know your host this week, trying to keep it within the season and, you know, something, a season that I feel like doesn't get enough credit. So uh, sometimes treated as a bit of a sub season because it's squeezed in between Halloween and Christmas. We have Thanksgiving. So the question to each of you this week to the, to the, to, to use guys, uh, what is your favorite Thanksgiving food and what beer would you pair with that food? Now, because I've just given it to you, I'll give you some time to think while I answer. My favorite Thanksgiving food is stuffing. I am really not discriminate about the type of stuffing. I've had, you know, just right out of the box stuffing. I've had stuffing that's cooked in the bird. I've had a lot of different types of stuffing. I love it all. It's all delicious. And I would say if I was going to pick a beer to pair with stuffing, I'm probably going to pick like an English brown ale, something that's kind of got that nice richness that makes me kind of think of autumn. I've got the nice like caramely sweet notes. Um, you know, I could pick something lighter to try and cut what can be the uh, richness of a few pounds of stuffing. But I think, you know, a nice like Samuel Smith or, you know, a, a nice like English brown ale, a, a nut brown ale would uh, pair well with it. So Chris or Nick, have you come up with your answers? And Nick, looks like you would like to go first. So, John, everybody's favorite is stuffing. But I'll pick something else. So this you can, is... You can overlap. <laughs> this is something that I think has become more and more of a trend recently. Uh, I know we started doing it probably six or seven years ago. Um, and it's become one of our favorite tr- Thanksgiving traditions uh, at the Pratt household uh, at my parents' house. Um, and that is uh, deep frying a turkey. Oh, my. Talk about stepping up your game. If you haven't had a fried turkey, like a, an entire bird fried turkey, I'm not talking about just, you know, like slicing up a breast and uh, and, and frying that. Uh, no, the entire thing injected, flavored, seasoned. You don't even have to bread it. it takes about uh, what? I think 50 seconds per pound is, is what the uh, formula is. I don't quote me on that. You you'll definitely need to look it up, but it's just amazing. And it's become, you know, one of my most anticipated favorite things about Thanksgiving uh, in, in this last decade or so. <sighs> as far as beers go, um, I would agree that a nice nut brown ale would certainly go well with a nice golden fried Turkey. I'm going to go, a little bit different. I'm going to say I'm going to choose a, uh, a dark Schwartz beer or a German style black lager. Um, something 
that has all these nice, rich and roasted complex notes to it. Something that'll really pair well with the turkey, uh, but also be able to distinguish itself from the turkey. And so it's not just like you're, you know, eating and drinking the same flavors. Um, I think they they have enough complementary flavors to go well together, and also uh, enough opposing flavors uh, to where it, it you know it, it's it's like a fresh bite or a fresh sip every time. Um, yeah, that's what I go with. Oh, and also uh, uh, light bodied enough to where it's not going to be a super filling style of beer. It'll leave plenty of room for seconds from that uh, Thanksgiving feast and pie. And Chris. pie, sweet potato pie. Get it right. Ooh, that's a little bit of a disagreement. Chris, what? All right. Uh, what do you got for us? Okay, this is what I got. Uh, and by the way, I love these questions. I love the getting to know your hosts questions because we don't know what is coming. I'm a big fan of these things, and so this is my answer for the Thanksgiving question. So, you guys both know I'm from uh, South Louisiana. Yes, we have the turkey and all of that stuff at uh, at Thanksgiving. I'm going to go day after Thanksgiving because this is my favorite. Day after Thanksgiving, we take what's left over from the turkey and we'll make turkey and sausage gumbo. Turkey and sausage gumbo the day after Thanksgiving, I love it. It's one of my favorite meals. If you've made gumbo before, you know that... Yeah. The hardest part of making gumbo is browning the flour and oil mixture. You have to sit there with a cast iron skillet and stir and stir and stir and stir. And it takes about 45 minutes to an hour of just stirring this mixture uh, and getting it to the right color and consistency, um, that which, which becomes your, your roux for the gumbo. I feel like... You know, so once you got your roux, you add like chicken stock and then the turkey and, you know, all the vegetables and all that stuff. I feel like a really nice beer um, accompaniment for turkey and sausage gumbo would be a nice peppery, bready pilsner to kind of offset the um, the roast kind of i'm going to use the word like not burned but browned um uh browniness of the gumbo i think a great juxtaposition for that would be a nice um grassy pilsner i think those two things would pair really really well nice I feel like Chris wins that round, but I also feel like he's cheating because gumbo <laughs> is just amazing. Uh, well, and when he brought it up that it was the day after, it made me think of um, our Christmases. My wife makes a dish only for Christmas. That's not necessarily like super traditional. It's not a ham or whatever. It's beef Wellington. Mm, so wow, yeah. Love if me it, some beef Wellington. It's I would. It's so expensive though. Like it. It's not cheap. If we oh. only have it once a year, it's a Christmas dinner. Um, but you know, it's the duck cell sauce. It's the puff pastry. It's you know, obviously the beef. And while it is delicious, fresh, what we like to do is my wife usually makes a little bit more than we're going to eat in that night. 
and especially you know the kids don't eat a ton and so we usually always have some beef wellington left over and so a couple of years ago we came up with our morning uh after christmas dish based off the beef wellington and it's actually named after one of my daughter's former classmates who came up to us one time at uh, our daughter's party it was the first time she had ever had a s'more and she ate about half of it and then just kind of got it out of her hand and was like, um, yeah, uh, miss, uh, miss I'm, I'm done with this. I actually prefer savory foods. And this was coming out of like a, a seven or eight year old. So just hilarious. And this kid, like, you know, I love my daughter to death, but this was the funniest kid in her grade. And so we now refer to this dish that I'm about to describe as the naughtiest special for that reason. So we take the beef Wellington and then we do a French toast, but it's a savory French toast, not a kind of sweet, you know, cinnamon and all that French toast. We make a savory French toast and then slice the beef Wellington and put it in between loaves of the savory French toast and refer to it as the Nadia special. And uh, that is, it's about 100,000 calories a sandwich, but it is heaven on earth. Mm-hmm. So... I, I'm with you. The day after food some, can sometimes be better than the day of. I think I just added some weight hearing you describe that. <laughs> it's it's uh, you know chef's kiss. Yeah. Uh, when sure. you uh, yeah, Chris, when you were going the day after route, I I, I thought you were going to say a sandwich, which is also one of my favorites. Turkey sandwich, a little bit of stuffing on top. Ooh, mm-hmm. yeah. Ooh. That's, Turkey club with stuffing. That's where you go. Yeah. Oh yeah. Chris, Chris had to go way more effort though. Yeah. Well, gumbo, gumbo's a good one. There's just never any time to stash it. <laughs> so that's getting to know your host. Uh, at this point in the episode, our uh, host of the week is Nick. And so Nick's going to walk you through a little bit of, you know, going down memory lane. He's going to give you a dad joke, and uh, he's going to enter it, uh, end it with a little bit of "So there I was." Then he'll tell you about the style of the week, and uh, yeah, we'll go from there. So, Nick, I'm handing you over the microphone. It's all yours. Oh, thank you for this microphone that you just handed to me. Um, so, my m- beer memory uh, for this week is definitely it's it's not a dad and beer memory it's just a beer memory um and is this may be a little controversial i'm just going to preface this with kids don't try this at home there is a uh, a long standing established uh beer house here in austin that i'm not going to name uh but it's been one of my absolute favorite uh places to partake in some just excellent craft beer uh, international beer. They have just about, you know, everything on tap that you could imagine, uh, at one point, uh, just a super relaxed atmosphere, just super chill, easygoing bartenders. The, the patrons there are known to be just, you know, some of the nicest people that you can, you know, be lucky enough to, to have a conversation with. Um, and it's just a really cool spot, really cool neighborhood, uh, really cool building. Um, they've got a lot going for themselves and they've been in business for uh, quite a long time, stay in business for quite a long time still. But so to the memory back when I was, let's just say less than 21, 
my friends and I, I'm, so I'm trying not to pat myself too much on the back here because I, I thought it was pretty clever and pretty ballsy. But again, kids, don't try this at home. So what I would do is I would, we would just go sit uh, in an outside table, just chat, talk, you know, acted like we belong there. Uh, we would wait. I would wait until somebody got up to leave, uh, you know, leaving their empty glassware on the table because, you know, you don't bust this. You don't bust your own table at this place. They had somebody that would come and, and pick all that stuff up for you. So once somebody would get up and leave, uh, leaving their empty beer glass on the table, I would go take that empty beer glass and get in line for the bar. Now, I don't want to get anybody in trouble. I don't think I don't think anybody still works there. Uh, who who would remember this, but... Yeah, it's been a long time since you were 21. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> One foot in the grave and all that. But uh, what I would do is I'd take this empty beer glass, set it down when I, when I get to the front of the line. I would set it down, like, again, it's all about confidence. Set it down like I knew what I was doing, like I belong there. Uh, I would order exactly what I wanted uh, without having, you know, him or haul, uh, and the bartenders almost, not almost, every single time just assumed that somebody had already carded me because I have an empty beer glass. Obviously, I've already had it. Somebody's already served me. So I must be kosher. Um, so did that, you know, for as much as I could get away with. I was always cognizant that, okay, you got a pretty cool thing going here. Don't ruin it. So I wasn't ever out of control uh, at, at the place that, that you might expect. Um, but I remember when I actually did turn 21 coming up to the bar without an empty beer glass and one of the regular bartenders recognized me and I was like, Hey, can I get my free birthday beer? I just turned 21 today. And Oh my gosh, the look on her face. I felt so bad. <laughs> <laughs> So bad because I could have gotten her in so much trouble and I could have gotten in so much trouble, but we all, we all kind of had a good laugh at it at the end. You bring up that, you bring up that establishment. Uh, one of uh, my favorite memories with you and more specifically your wife was at that same establishment. It's the first time I met Crystal. I had heard tale of this girl that Nick was dating, but had never met her. And I get to this place that shall remain nameless. And this person that I do not know comes screaming from across the uh, patio. So excited that she had just found the dress that she was going to wear to my wedding. And I was like, sweet. I have no idea who you are, but I'm really glad that you're so excited. (laughs) But, you know, she, uh, she, I had it explained to me very quickly and, you know, we've, we've been good sen- uh, friends ever since, but I also had a coworker, uh, punch somebody in the face at, uh, that establishment. So it's had a lot of interesting memories, a lot of history there, a lot of history. So now Nick, uh, hit us with your dad joke. Yeah. So, uh, I'm in therapy. We're in therapy just the other day and um, the therapist tells me, you know, so your wife says you never buy her flowers. And I'm like, well, to be honest, I didn't know she sold flowers. 
that's a that's wow. that's a classic. Um, I will be remiss if I let this opportunity go by. It is f- one of my favorite dad joke weekends of the year, and it's something that might be specific to our household. But my wife and daughter are both big fans of Share, and probably my wife more so than my daughter, but they're two peas in a pod. And so they like a lot of the same music. And a couple of years ago, I sent them to share uh, right before COVID kind of went crazy um, for my wife's, I think it was her Mother's Day gift. And starting that year, I went up to my daughter on this weekend. And if you're, because this won't come out tonight, it's the weekend that we're about to turn the clocks back. And I would go up to my daughter and say, Hey, you know, Saturday night, we're going to turn back time. And she would just look at me mystified. And she goes, well, how? And it was just the perfect set of my, I was just like, we're going to find a way. <laughs> and I have milked that for the last few years. Unfortunately, this is the first weekend that we're not, or the first year since then. That we're not going to have our daughter for the clock turning back ceremony that our forefathers have passed down to us over the generations. And I told my wife, "It's like I need to call her. I cannot miss this. I like part of me will die inside if I miss a year of this." But I would you be must, remiss. You must call her when we're talking about uh, dad jokes. Try it out. If uh, if if your kids, if your significant other knows, share. It's it's a good chuckle every time. But Nick, John, now, John, yes. John, you've got to find a way. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Uh, Nick, I'm gonna let you now kind of take us uh, on a walk down. Or sorry, give us a. So there I was. A little bit of a parenting situation you might have faced, and uh, we'll we'll discuss it. All right. So this is come up uh, fairly recently here in my household and here in my. Uh, fatherhood experience. Um, you, you know, as Vivian gets older, uh, she's always always been a real smart kid. Uh, and you know, you you know, with smart kids, they have smart mouth, smart mouths. Uh, so she's really kind of taken it onto a. And then, you know, this is all just growth and developmental process. If I if I, it sounds like I'm complaining, I'm sorry. It's not really that, but she has really taken it to uh, another level with the back sass with just the absolute talking back, the defiance. Uh, and I, and I've got to be honest here, fellas, I am not taking it as well as uh, I could be. There is a lot of room for growth on my side here. Uh, so having set it up like that, there was, so the routine in, in our house is that my alarm goes off first. I hit the snooze, snooze goes, uh, snooze alarm goes off. I hit it again, goes off a second time. I'm like, okay, fine. You win. I get up, wake up Vivian. First thing I do is wake up Vivian and tell her it's, you know, time to get out of bed. Let's go brush our teeth. So, and that's, that's just been how it's been since, you know, she started school. So, uh, just a few mornings ago, um, after, you know, kind of a bit of, you know, extra bad back and forth between her and I. Uh, where I'm being my own stubborn self and she's being her own stubborn self. I don't know where she gets it, but the first thing she says to me is usually good morning, daddy, or something to that effect. 
this time, the first thing she says to me is, I wish mommy would wake me up. Yep. Oh, guys, y'all, I did not handle that well. I didn't like, you know, lose anything in front of her by any means. I don't, she doesn't know this. I just said, yeah, well, you know, I wish mommy but could wake me up sometimes too. they have to remodel their house again. <laughs> yes. So she's moving out soon. Uh, but so, yeah, no, I, I was just absolutely like, you know, shot through the heart. Uh, I felt like the floor just dropped up from underneath me. Uh, I, you know, I, 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 I said something, uh, I, I kind of mumbled it out, uh, uh, you know, walked in a, in a daze in back a to rage. Yep. <laughs> not so much that it, it hurt. It hurt my feelings. Um, you know, hurt me, hurt me more than I thought it would. Uh, something so just off cuff like that coming from a seven year old, I did not expect it. And it cut me straight to the core and it really, really bothered me. And it, I'm not going to lie y'all. It, it really, really affected the rest of my day. Uh, was just ruminating, miserating, not not dealing with it in a healthy manner, uh, brooding. You know, I was starting to get short with Crystal. Uh, I was starting to, you know, take it out on, uh, you know, thankfully not any clients, but, you know, I was, you know, being a little bit more short than I should be. And so, you know, Crystal kind of sits me down to talk for a little bit and we discuss it out. I mean, I'm not going to go into like great detail exactly how that conversation went. Um, But the, the end result was that she kind of, you know, did her smooth mommy thing where she just very, very gently brought it up with Vivian, you know, Hey, why, why do you want, why do you want me to wake you up? And Vivian goes, Oh, I just missed you. That's all. And that's it. That's it. There was no, I don't want, I want, you know, I don't want daddy to wake me up anymore. There was no, you know, I want you to wake me up because I, I just don't like dad anymore. Uh, which was, that's what was going on in my head. Uh, so I spent all this time, emotional energy, just absolutely stewing and dwelling on something that just wasn't there. And I suppose my advice is ask questions. Kids maybe aren't fully aware of, of how they're coming across and what they're saying. Um, I, I know Vivian didn't mean to hurt me like that, but that's how I took it. And that's, you know, that's, that's, that's on me. I, I know that, but that's how I took it. And that's, that was my reality for a while there. And just <laughs> for it to turn out to be just, you know, uh, a big fat nothing burger really, really kind of made me stop and go, you know, maybe you've got not, no, not maybe, but you've got some, uh, uh, emotional maturity to, to work on still here. Uh, you don't have it all figured out. So always room to grow. Don't ever stop learning. Yeah. 
we joke around a lot, but you know, thanks Nick for being vulnerable. Growing kids, just like when we were talking about brewing beer, it's art and science. It's uh, it's experience. There's a lot that goes into it. And, uh, you know, I'll say that maybe it's just because I've got a little bit more scar tissue built up, but like your example with Vivian, she meant it for an entirely different reason. There was an entirely different um, kind of background to the story. Um, I think it kind of goes back to that, that communication piece. Just take some time, realize that kids do say the darndest things, but if it's something that's really bothering you, take some time and talk it out with them before, you know, you let it really sit with you. Chris. Yeah. I I mean, again, thank you, Nick, for sharing that. And it doesn't, uh, there is always room to grow. I still have, I'm a lot older than you two guys and I still have a lot of room to grow myself. And I think it, it, at some point it goes from, what they're saying to what they're not saying and how kind of the lack of the lack of words almost um, is as confusing and potentially painful as the words that they're using. And I think John, you kind of hit the nail on the head, have the conversation because it, it, you know, generally speaking, it, it, it's what makes it better. It may not make it, make it better in that moment, but at least you'll know. Um, and man, it's tough. It uh, it's really tough, and it, it it's going to probably stay tough for me anyway. It has stayed tough for a while, and the only thing that makes it a little better is, like you said, John, just to have the conversation. So one of the other things that Nick had the honor of doing today was picking our style and our beer to taste. And what's funny about it is I joked with both Nick and Chris about two months ago when the beer that we'll discuss started hitting the shelves. And Nick was like, nah, we don't need to do that. Nah, this is stupid. We're never going to, nah. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, you know, maybe uh, maybe next year. And then when we were talking about what we're going to do for this episode, he's like, yeah, let's do this beer. Well, what's really nice is uh, it's pretty much sold out a lot of places. And so it sent us all on this wild goose chase, meeting up at random places, hangout thing to get the beer to each other tonight for the episode to taste. But before we get into that specific beer, Nick... Tell us a little bit about the style that we're featuring tonight. So thanks for that build up, John. So yes, all true. Uh, this is definitely a style that I uh, have poo-pooed on in the past. Uh, it is not one of my favorite styles. I'll just be upfront with you right now. I find it to be um, overdone, uh, a little bit cliched at this point, but it is, it's inescapable. It's everywhere. There is is no way this time of year uh, and in, you know, the two months past that you can walk into any any beer establishment and not see multiple examples of this style. And that is, of course, a pumpkin ale. Now, pumpkin ales actually have a pretty all-American history 
to them. They are a pure North American style of ale. It's been brewed in the Americas at least since the 1600s. Pumpkins are native to North America. Up until that point, there were no pumpkins in Europe. So when the colonists started coming over from Europe, from the old world into the new world, um, you know, of course, they bring, uh, among other things, their brewing techniques with them. Um, and just their brewing way of life at that point, you know, the, the beer is safer to drink than the water. So having beer available is, is of vital importance to a colony. And there were no kind of malted grains or barley to be had uh, during this time. So uh, the meat of the pumpkin actually entirely replaced the malt ingredient of, of the brewing process actually was viewed at a, at one point as, as a healthy beer. Uh, the pumpkin was supposed to have, you know, medicinal properties, nutritional properties regularly mixed with, you know, as a health tonic also regularly used as a mixer, like a cocktail mixture, uh, that the colonists would use usually using like rum, uh, pumpkin beer and sugar. What we think of as a pumpkin ale today is very different than what a pumpkin ale started off with. Uh, eventually those, those really old timey pumpkin ales lost their appeal, lost their uh, luster because the just attitudes change, taste change. It was viewed as a very old fashioned and rustic ingredient. And uh, so hard they, seltzer came to the colonies. <laughs> and hard seltzer came and took over everything. Uh, you know, I have not seen a pumpkin spiced hard seltzer. I'm sure they're out there, but uh, I also haven't really dude, been PSL. Looking. There has to be a, uh, oh, there definitely spice. is. I'm just saying I haven't seen it. Uh, uh, anyways. So what we know as a pumpkin ale today, uh, didn't really start becoming more popular until kind of like the 1980s. Buffalo Bill Brewing was the first one in America to bring it back. They have been brewing their original pumpkin ale uh, since the 1980s. So they were the first one to do it. Uh, but a very big difference between today's pumpkin ale and the past pumpkin ale is that today's pumpkin ale is a lot more trying to be like a pumpkin pie in a bottle. This is the one where like nutmeg, cinnamon are used in a modern pumpkin ale. That was not uh, ingredients in a traditional pumpkin ale. Uh, so you really get much more of a kind of almost candied like quality, uh, a very heavily spiced quality in modern pumpkin ales. Um, and yeah, so they can be, they run the gamut. They can be very, very light bodied and very, very light tasting. Just, a, you know, a hint of that pumpkin spice in there uh, to the, strongly cloying overbearing you know like the starbucks pumpkin spice latte of beer uh the one i picked today i think hits a pretty nice middle ground and that would be one of one of the first ones that i ever tasted and actually one of the you know in my personal opinion that's the standard that i measure all pumpkin ales against and that would of course be the dogfish head pumpkin ale which we're going to taste in a little bit here so anyway, yeah, uh, I just remember, distinctly remember my first time having it. Uh, that was actually probably the first pumpkin ale I've ever had. Uh, uh, came in a bright Hunter's Orange four pack. And I was just very intrigued. Like, whoa, 
what is this? You know, I, I had heard of dogfish head uh, at this point in my, in my life. So I knew that they have a reputation for quality brews. And also I knew they had a reputation for kind of out there brews. Um, it really was an experience. I honestly can say that I enjoyed it. It's was something very appropriate for the time. And I'm, I'm glad we're coming back to this, but I've got to say that almost every other pumpkin ale or pumpkin beer that I've had since then has just been disappointing. I have not, I have yet to find one that I've just been, that is, that has equaled that first experience for me. Now is a good, it's good as time as any to, to go ahead and dive in, get it over with. <laughs> so, you know, with the pumpkin beers, um, I feel like they were kind of one of the first of the modern adjunct ales. So now you have the coffees. I mean, we're talking about Martin House, like these breweries that just go bananas. Now, don't get me wrong, like a coffee stout, chocolate stout, those have been forever. But when you're talking about kind of branching out and going to these different flavors, pumpkin is really the first one that I remember. And there's some other, you know, pretty decent ones. If you're going to stay in the ales, like maybe Shipyards, um, there's uh, some decent pumpkin stouts like St. Arnold's Pumpkinator. The one thing that I think of when whenever I think of the pumpkin from Dogfish Head was how difficult it used to be to get. It used to be you're practically following the truck and trying to jump into whatever store as soon as it hits the shelves. Apparently and, it still is for you. Uh, okay. This beer had been on the shelves for like two months. And, you know, I was joking around with Alicia, you know, shout out, love, love Alicia over at HEB, that uh, I talked so much trash about this beer and, you know, how jumping, you know, jump the shark pumpkin beers was. And then, you know, Nick, oh, let's do that one. Thanks, Nick. I could have gotten cases of it before pretty easily. But this beer brings back a lot of memories to me. It, it brings back kind of that first time I was beer chasing and when my wife and I were first dating and I remember calling her up because Sunrise Mini Mart had gotten some pumpkin in like, hey, please go after work, you know, drive down there. And, you know, she's squealing her tires and, you know, running red lights to get this beer. You know, it was very early on in our relationship and Dogfish Head also, um, Dogfish Head was also special to us. I had saved a bottle of the Dogfish Head 120-minute IPA the night my wife and I got engaged. That was uh, a beer we we split. So Dogfish Head does hold a special place in my heart. The pumpkin ale, you know, it is, I can imagine, drastically different than what colonists were kind of sustaining themselves on hundreds of years ago. I think everybody kind of gets the idea at this point, but if you've never had one, do yourself a favor and start with pumpkin. It's like Nick said, it's the gold standard. There are others to try out there, but I feel like you try pumpkin first and go from there. That being said, it's probably been a solid seven years since I've had one. Yeah, same for me. If you are going to uh, try a pumpkin for the first time, one advantage that you'll have, or maybe disadvantage if you don't like it, is that now it comes in six packs. <laughs> That's true. This has got, you know, if you think about it, it's like less pumpkin flesh, more like, you know, the pumpkin puree you get in a can. It's those flavors you associate with the fall nutmeg clove cinnamon with that chris do you have anything to add before we jump into the pumpkin ale not a ton i mean i I, i'm with nick on this to me pumpkin beers can be kind of gateway beers i think this is one of the gateway beers maybe 
for my wife that got her kind of out of the more mass produced pilsnery type beers into something that had a little bit of a different flavor, but wasn't quite full blown West coast or IPA. You know, this, if you're looking for a transition beer and it's, you know, especially during the fall months, maybe this is the beer for you. You know, like I said, I'm kind of with Nick. I'm kind of like, Meh. I could take them or leave them. They're not my favorite style. Um, but I do see, you know, if we're going back to the art versus science conversation, I can see the artistic value, you know? Um, but if it were hanging in a museum, I probably wouldn't go back to that museum over and over and over again. You know, it holds its place in the canon of beer mythology. I'll shut up and let's get uh, to tasting the classic dogfish head pumpkin ale. So I think the first thing that strikes me is the color. It's a very rich kind of amber. And then the smell. I mean, we were talking about Thanksgiving dinner earlier. This is the tie-in. See how we're professionals at this now? This reminds me of a lot of those flavors. Oh, yeah. Professionals. P-E-R-F-S-H-N-L-S. P-E-R-Fessionals. So, so far, I must say this beer is exactly the way I remembered it. The color... Uh, now, I don't know if this is just kind of psychosomatical, but the color to me is actually like a very pumpkiny orange. Like as far as beers go, this has got a an orange glow to it that I think just screams pumpkin ale. If I saw somebody drinking this beer in a clear glass across the room, I'm pretty confident I could label that as a pumpkin ale. You wouldn't at all. I said I'm confident. <laughs> It's not going to happen. No, I mean, you're 100% right. Like, you take that sip, and it takes you back to the first time you had pumpkin. Um, You get all those flavors. It's super, super smooth, easy drinking. It's rich in flavor, but it's not too heavy on your palate. Um, It lingers a bit afterward, much like a nice slice of pumpkin pie. Um, It's got beautiful head retention. Oh yeah, the, and I mean, the, the top of it is kind of like the uh, the whipped cream on top. Mm-hmm. All that pumpkin spice that you know and love comes into the nose, comes in through the nose. Just super, super smooth drinking. I don't know. I, I cannot put my finger on exactly what it is that I dislike about this beer, but it's something, and <laughs> like. I, you know, I'm not a fan of overly sweet beers, and I do feel like this has a distinct sweetness to it. Um, I also actually, so uh, earlier this week, um, went to a St. Arnold Pumpkinator release um, and had some of their pumpkin stout good but also had that sweetness to it however which is funny because you love the belching beaver that's exactly where i was going like i i i can't exactly put my finger on it because it's not just the sweetness because i love the belching beaver i love the martin house peanut butter pretzel stout those are both uh sweet beers so i i can't put my finger on exactly what it is that i 
that I don't love about this beer. It's a good beer. I mean, if you're looking for a pumpkin beer that's got, you know, notes of nutmeg and cinnamon and pumpkin spice, this is your beer. You know, I'm going to say that I'm picking up on a little bit of a kind of kind of raisiny, like a raisin taste to it. Like if I was going to, you know, almost kind of like a like a rum cake a little mm. bit. I can see that. Is it possibly gonna, the combo of spices? Yeah, I was going to say I'm I'm going to guess here, Chris, that it's the combination of of sweet and spicy that that, that maybe could, you're not liking. Could be it. And again, I'm not I'm not hating on the beer at all. Like, oh sure, no, this is all just personal preference. This is a very well made beer. Yeah. Like I don't know if you remember, they actually had a TV series at one point where they would feature a different beer on every episode, and they had one that was. You know, they went back to like Egypt and found these old pieces of pottery that had supposedly the original beer recipe and they made a beer based off that. And then they made this one beer that was like the sugars that were fermented were from like uh, chewed corn that the people in this South American village would like, you know, chew and then like spit into a vessel. And that's what they would they would ferment. So Dogfish Head makes some really weird stuff. And that's kind of always been their niche. And I love him for it, though. Do you guys remember Magic Hat? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Magic Magic nine. Number nine. Yeah. yeah. Magic Hat number nine. That was a big deal when that came to Texas. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I was thinking about, like, where we've kind of come. And now there's just such a variety that's available in Texas and, and more and more coming every day. And so, you know, I have a soft spot in my heart for, you know, a dogfish head that was there kind of at the beginning of my craft beer journey. And they do their beers very well. Yes, they know what they're doing and they do it well. Uh, those guys, Dogfish Head, Sierra Nevada, uh, and New Belgium, I think were really the the first three kind of craft breweries, craft beers makers that that made me reevaluate what exactly a beer could be. Because up until then, you know, beer to me was Keystone Light. Uh, Bud Light if I was lucky. That's what if I was like, you know, treating myself. Sonic Hard Seltzer, you know, when he gets mm. real bougie. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. When I'm, you know, looking down on you peons from my ivory tower. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, and, you know, kind of going back to the beer, I mean, you know, I feel like this is a good beer. You know, we're talking about Thanksgiving. It's a good six-pack to show up to uh, your Thanksgiving dinner with. Um, I think it's something that you could sit and pour little tasters for people and like, Hey, check this out. Because while it is very much a, I don't know, a cliche or whatever you want to call it in the craft beer scene. Now there are a lot of people that have never had this and you pour something like this and it could really open their eyes. Chris, you're talking about it as a a gateway beer, a hundred percent. And I hope that, you know, in the time that we've been doing this podcast, we've gotten across that, we love this community and we love the inclusiveness that this community brings. And the more people that can come into this community, whether it's through, you know, Bud Light, whether it's through Dogfish Head Pumpkin or it's through a coffee porter, you're welcome. And we want you here. We spend the time talking about beer because we love it. That could also completely backfire. So the true story, my father-in-law loved Miller Lite and and nothing against that. I mean, that's where I started also was Miller Lite. 
And one Thanksgiving when my wife and I were just like, we had just started dating. I showed up at their house for Thanksgiving with a six pack of uh, that, what you just mentioned, actually, Nick, the Buffalo Bills um, pumpkin ale. And I almost got kicked out of the house immediately. (laughs) He was like, I thought you said you were bringing some beer. I was like, well, but I just go get some Miller Lite. Okay. (laughs) It can, it's a little different. It can definitely backfire. Um, Yeah. I try to, you know, one of the things that, um, my in-laws have come to know me to know me to do is bringing something different to try beverage wise mm-hmm. when we get together. Yeah. And, you know, I've brought some mainstream, some wacky, whatever, and they can definitely, my, my father-in-law is one of the nicest people I've ever met and he can still give you this. Yeah, that's yeah. Go mm. ahead and put that away. <laughs> yeah. If you're, if you're craft curious, Give it a try. I'm going to say also uh, another reason I chose this beer is uh, in the, you know, craft brew world, there are so many different beers to choose from. And I highly encourage you to try as many as you possibly Mm -hmm. can, even if it's not something that you think you're going to enjoy. Try it. Give it a try. Give it a taste. Give it a chance. Um you know, I, th- I think I made my feelings clear earlier that this is this is not really a style that that I'm I'm a you know gung ho about, uh, but a lot of people are, and I, I I can understand why they are. It's just not my cup of tea, particularly. Uh, I wanted to try it again. It's it's pretty much exactly as I remembered it, but try everything, try all that you can, just do it. You know, my kid's pediatrician has a rule. I can't remember the exact number, but it's like five or seven, eight times. Anyways, it's the number of times that a kid should try a food before they decide that they don't like it. Hmm. And then it's off the menu forever. I think it's somewhere, I think, between like seven and nine times. So so eight? Yeah. (laughs) It could be seven. It could be eight. It could be nine. This is an inclusive set. Um, but, you know, something I distinctly remember is having the Victory Hop Devil probably a solid 12 years ago and thinking, this is the hoppiest a beer can ever get in the history of mankind. It's so hoppy. It's not even, it's not even beer. It's just extracted hop juice. How can anybody like a beer that this, that's this hoppy? And I revisit that beer now and I'm like, oh, you were so naive. <laughs> sweet, sweet summer child. Even if it's a beer you think that like, oh, I didn't like it back then or whatever. Try it a few times. Try it through your journey because you'll find that you've learned and picked up and you know your tastes have changed so much. I mean, as you grow older, you know, not as old as, say, Chris and you know wow. Nick, but, you know, wow. as you get Dang. older, you're... Your palate does, <laughs> your palate does evolve. Your tastes change, and so give things a try. Um, and especially, you know, find a good beer store, grocery store, liquor store, what have you, that allows you to try things in singles because it's just a lot. 
easier on your pocketbook. Um, but I think that's going to kind of wrap up our longest episode ever that we've recorded. And Chris, Nick, as always, thank you so much for joining in and Nick for recommending this beer. Like I said, used to be one of my most anticipated beers of the year. Um, so it's kind of like a, like a nice childhood friend you're going back to visit. So thank you for that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Chris, good time as always. Thank uh, yeah. So happy to have you back in Austin. Yeah, thanks, guys. Great to be back in Austin. And uh, if you'll excuse me, I need to go change my adult diaper. <laughs> I'm going to go uh, vote and lobby for a uh, curfew for you youngins. And get re- you off my lawn. Uh, replace <laughs> your uh, hard candy that you have in a nice crystal dish. Oh, yeah. Um, maybe, some, maybe some toffee. <laughs> no, you got to go with those uh, strawberry <laughs> hard candies that are wrapped to look like yeah, strawberries yeah. and have to the go in the like, middle. Yeah. yeah Classic. Yeah. Either that or, yeah. No, for sure. Chase it with some prune juice. So, again, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so on our socials. It's uh, Beers with Dad Pod at both uh, Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to send us an email, shoot us a parenting situation you found yourself in or a beer you would like us to discuss, beerswithdeadpod at gmail.com. Great time as always. And I would be remiss if I left off that please, please don't touch the thermostat. (laughs) 